Hello, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Crash, the UK Geek Podcast. This is episode 319, recorded on Friday, the 19th of June, 2020, at 17 minutes and 33 seconds past midnight. I've just finished taping a Dot 2 episode. I hope you've listened to that as well. The episode tonight is just the general geek show where I talk about all things that I have partaken of that are geek or geek related or an adjunct to geekdom. Let's get on with it. Let's start off with the virus diary as usual and I tell you my experiences of these interesting times. The lockdown sucks. I understand the reason for it, but I have now reached the point where I am fed up. If it was just me on my own, I would have taken a few more risks, but my parents are here, so I have to minimise my own exposure. What else has been going on? Remember the broken oven? The oven that lacks a working element, the oven is still buggered. I ordered the new element. I have received the new element, but finding someone to install it is not easy or cheap. Why is it these companies think they are doing you a favour by taking your money? What other crap have I been dealing with? Oh yes, my parents' months late, rescheduled, delivery in a few days' time was again cancelled by the idiotic Infernal International Freight Removal Company from hell who are determined to mess things up continually They have also threatened extra charges should they cock up the next delivery as well. I think this is a section of this episode I'll need to bleep out because they are totally stupid, incompetent. If you are in a similar position and ever have to ship your belongings internationally because you're doing an international move, you have my sympathy. My Mac Mini that runs Windows 7 64-bit on the bootcamp partition crashed again, as it has consistently done over the years, but this time it rendered my Mac Mini from 2012 totally unbootable. I wouldn't say it was bricked because the hardware was okay, but the operating system was completely trashed. I decided to take the Nuke from Orbit approach and did a fresh install of Windows 7, though Windows 7 the 32-bit version. I did that by using one or two of the Apple driver packages from Bootcamp 4X or whatever, which technically is not for my Mac Mini, it's for the previous one but that at least got wireless network working. I 
also used the excellent Snappy Drivers Installer Origin, also known as SDIO, although that acronym also stands for something completely different. So just Google Snappy Drivers Installer Origin. I have also been installing about 10 or more years of Windows 7 updates from Microsoft, some of which have not installed. But at least I now have a working computer. But yeah, back to 64-bit Windows 7. My PC crashes stem from using that particular version of Windows 7 Ultimate. Why did I suffer an unnatural shutdown, which I suspect is the reason for Windows throwing its hands in the air and running away? I think that's because we are having intermittent power cuts, so thank you, power company. Also, I don't have a UPS, and a UPS is one of those things like backups, which you never think you need until you do. I really need a UPS, but then I really need a lot of things. I need new headphones. It's a long list. Those things that I did to get Windows 7 32-bit Ultimate working were just the easy bits that I can explain to you over this episode. There were a lot of other boring techie things that I had to do, so it's a little more complicated than you will initially think, especially if you're using an obsolete version of Windows. What I'm getting at is that if you're thinking of downgrading, for example, from Windows 10 to Windows 7, you should really know what you're doing. You need to be technically competent and don't rely on forums because they don't always provide the answer. You need some modicum of PC technical knowledge. And if you manage to get Windows 7 working, you should also consider air-gapping the operating system, that is, not connecting it up, and booting Ubuntu Live for online work. Which is really what I should do, but I don't. Anyway, that Windows disaster is one of the reasons for the delays to crash. But I'm back now. Hopefully those days are behind me, at least temporarily, until Microsoft products throw another wobbly and I have to do something else. What else have I been doing? Well, I've been job hunting. In desperation, I have been looking for the types of jobs I haven't considered for about 15 years. Although I'm a writer... When did writing last pay the bills? Well, actually, it was around 2013. Before that, I worked in arts and heritage, and before that, in IT. There was a time, however, when I worked in a variety of lower-skilled jobs, like office temping, labouring, security, lots and lots of hideous jobs. It's just that by now I would have thought that those days were far behind me, but apparently not. 
Incidentally, and I think I reported that on this podcast, I did make the mistake of trying one of those jobs, dealing with RMA'd items in a warehouse a few years ago and discovered a new and unexpected physical problem that I couldn't deal with. Box Dust sends my Tourette's into overdrive. Back to now, and I applied for a temporary slash part-time, aren't all jobs that now, driving job. I had my preliminary phone interview and found out that I was one of 49 applicants selected for interview. 49 people have applied for this relatively low-paying, statusless and insecure job. Welcome to the UK. While this has left me wondering whether I'm doing the right thing, it has, and I've said this loads and loads of times before, and then it's gone the other way, incentivized me to do more writing and more podcasting. (laughs) We'll also see how long that lasts. What else have I been doing to look for lucrative ways of making money? Yes, sitting on the bog and scrolling for amazing and new money-making tech inspiration on Y Combinator, which is something I do every now and then, and I suspect what a lot of techie want-to-be entrepreneurs are Oh, I'm not sure that I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be a writer, but entrepreneuring, which isn't a verb, might pay the bills. <laughs> it also made me desperately tweet ex-goodish broadsheet newspaper tech columnist seeks paid writing perch with access to decent hospitality tent. Yeah, that's almost paradise, isn't it? A really good spread in a great hospitality tent and being paid to write. What's an adrenaline junkie bike career to do after a fatal wipeout? How about inheriting a weird box, partnering up with a lethal and sexy reporter and going on the adventure of a lifetime? Join Geeky X Rocker and his enigmatic partner in crime as they are drawn into the mystery of the century deep in the dark heart of London. It is a secret that will change their lives forever, if it doesn't kill them first. The Horrors Box is a very dark, very funny, fast-paced, action-packed, suspense thriller brimming with pop culture nostalgia and unique characters. If you liked Raiders of the Lost Ark, The Goonies, National Treasure, and Preston and Child's Agent Pendergast series, you will love this high-octane and explosive page-turner, as quirky and British as James Bond and Doctor Who, by UK author Roy Martha. Oh, that's me. And this is my book. You can find The Horrors Box on Amazon as a Kindle ebook now. That was the pre-show, the pre-moaning. Let's move on to the show and culture. This week, as I said in a tweet a few days ago, a few years ago, a few centuries ago, 
I'm going to talk about gaming today. Some of this stuff is stuff that I've talked about before, though not for a long, long time. Let's talk about some games that I play. First, M-O-U-L, Mist Online Uru Live. I used to play the online MMO version of Mist a few years ago after becoming disenchanted with Second Life. <laughs> Towards the end, all I was doing was griefing other players, so that was not a productive thing to do. That's why I moved to Mist, where it's a lot more zen. And I do get stuck a lot, but I do enjoy playing it as well. The fact that the plot of Mist bears a striking resemblance to Lost, the TV series, also helps. I love Lost. And another thing you'll find about most games I like, and will mention here tonight, is, as well as having played them for years, most of them are moddable through scripts, which always gives you the option of tweaking the game to better suit your personal foibles. Although, at this stage, I'm a minimal tweaker. Let's move on from Mist Online Uru Live. Really, try it out. It's great, and it's free. To Celestia. Okay, Celestia is not technically a game, but it is an awesome space flight simulator. And one of the biggest draws in science fiction for me is to explore strange new worlds. And you can do that with Celestia. By the way, these two games that I've just mentioned, they are enormous downloads, so make sure you have a good internet connection, or if you have a average internet connection, it might take you a week to download these games and their DLC, particularly Celestia, which has a lot of extra stuff, and Mist Online also it seems to be continually updating. It is a big game. I like Celestia because that exploration is beautifully rendered. It all looks really great. There are a million scripts to do things for you. There is two scripting languages, so you can design your own interstellar itinerary. I thoroughly recommend that you check out Celestia. Next, NetHack. Man, I've been playing that a long time. NetHack is an old-school roguelike with permadeath and multiple variants, some of which, like Falcon slash Vulture's Eye, replace the pure ASCII interface with some really fancy tile sets, character designs, and animations. You can get NetHack at nethack.org. If you do decide to play NetHack, let me know which character type you choose. I always choose the tourist, mainly because I've been a tourist so often, and it's a novel idea to have a tourist character in an RPG. It does remind me a lot of Two Flower from Terry Pratchett's Discworld. 
ordinarily in most fantasy based games I choose the wizard NetHack is the one exception to that rule Moving on to Flare Empyrean Campaign One of the main reasons I don't like Diablo is that it can't usually, and we'll get on to that in a minute, be controlled without a mouse, which is where Diablo-like Flair, Empyrean Campaign, comes in. Flair is a free, open-source engine for creating isometric RPGs. Empyrean Campaign is the first, I believe, such game. Happily, the developer prefers keyboard controls. And that suits me just fine. You can get the download for Flare Empyrean Campaign at flarepg.org. Moving on to Diablo. And if you've been reading my Twitter stream, you will know there are a couple of reasons that I don't like Diablo. One is to do with the aforementioned lack of keyboard controls. This is where Desai Quintans comes in. This chap has made a modding app that enables universal WASD, or as I say it, WZAD, controls for top-down RPGs. Top-down RPGs like Diablo, for instance. It is available at desiquintans.com. That's D-E-S-I-Q-U-I-N-T-A-N-S dot com. Maybe this is what I need to start playing Diablo. Although... Different versions of Diablo are only compatible with different versions of Windows without lots and lots of hacking, which is one of the reasons I quite like some open source games. Because they always seem to be available on multiple platforms and you don't generally have to worry about the version of the operating system. Come on, Microsoft. Stop being gits. Let's move on to Black Annex. This is what happened. I was looking up my old quick basic code and just seeing the state of the old structured and probably best implementation of the basic language by Microsoft, something they did that is actually good. Today, it's in good shape thanks to projects like QB64. And when I was doing that, I came across the isometric game Black Annex, purportedly written in Quick Basic. Though I think I read something about the developer actually using QB64, because QB64, a bit like Free Basic, can compile Quick Basic with all its built in functions, but there are also a load of extra functions available to you as well. And it's quite clever because what they do to differentiate the old functions with the new functions is the new functions are prefixed with an underscore. 
So it's easy to see in your code what you're using and which bit is compatible with what. We'll actually get on to talking about QB64 a bit later. The Black NX project made retro geeks like me excited back in 2013. And then nothing happened to date, except a coming soon on Steam that we've seen a million times before. So I searched the string what happened to Black NX on Google and found a Y Combinator, you see how everything is related to everything this week, conversation between someone asking exactly the same question back in 2019, not that long ago, and the developer, Lance McDonnell, said he had become a YouTuber, but was still working on it in his spare time. So don't expect anything soon, but Lance McDonnell, if that's your real name, Please carry on developing. I'm assuming it's his real name. I don't even know why I added that bit at the end. It's just that people are so anonymous online, except me. I'm very anonymous. Let's now leave culture behind and move on to technology, WWDC. I received my WW Apple Developer Conference invitation to their online virtual conference this year. Obviously, can't have too many developers all sweaty and mixing together too closely. But, of course, the app to access the virtual conference is limited to iOS. And I only have a working Android phone. Hey, I've got a MacOS partition. I wonder if it'll work on there. Anyway, I'm sure someone will be live streaming from YouTube. And maybe I could watch that if I wanted to. The thing is, I'm not big into Apple gear, even if my personal computer is a Mac Mini. We'll see, though. After the trials and tribulations of the past few days, my patience with Windows is wearing very thin. Actually, it was worn out years and years ago. The only reason I'm still using this hideous operating system, is that a lot of the games, a lot of the software, a lot of the stuff that I've played with, developed, hacked, over the years has been on the MS-DOS platform first, moving on to every version of Windows after that. After professing this deep <laughs> uninterest in Apple, now I'm going to tell you about something that does slightly interest me, and that's the rumoured news of Apple moving away from Intel CPUs to ARM CPUs. From a techie hacker point of view, the obvious question is whether ARM-based small form factor computers, like the Raspberry Pi, will run MacOS. I tweeted that such a machine should either be called the Pi Mac or the Hackin' Pi which is the title of this episode. Then I found out that PyMac is a name used to describe Raspberry Pis stuffed into old Mac cases. So I can't really use PyMac. I think it's going to have to be Hackin' Pie. 
I just want to say right now, I coined the phrase first. (laughs) Not that I'm greedy for credit or anything, but I got there first. Just saying. Don't mind either way, but it was me. (laughs) Anyway, back to the hack and buy. I don't think that's a stupid idea as you might think, especially with the new 8GB 1.5GHz RPI 4, which can be overclocked to a slightly crazy but possible 2GHz plus. My interest, however, is only curiosity, as I have no intention of investing my time in macOS, especially on a Hackintosh or a Hackenpie. It's hard enough to get things working as it is. I've got to do podcasting and writing and other stuff and developing. And anyway, that's all I've got to say about WWDC. Moving on to the ISS, I found out that you can contact the ISS via ham radio. If you go to A-R-I-S-S dot org, Aris, <laughs> you can find out details of how to do that. Apparently, astronauts occasionally make contact with ham radio operators, and you can even get a QSL card which confirms your communication with the ISS. That's some kind of ham operator badge of honour, I suspect. I'm not a ham operator, but I know a person who is, and I wonder if he'll try this. Moving on in technology to QB64, which I've talked about earlier, and I must have mentioned QB64 a few times during the course of the many years of this podcast. I have been playing with the extended Microsoft Quick Basic C++ emitter, an IDE that enables you to compile your old code to Windows, MacOS, and Linux. I've been getting back into programming by polishing and improving my old Quick Basic skills. Although, having said that, I've looked at some of my old code and (laughs) looking at old and complicated code from someone who is a self-taught programmer is a combination of embarrassment and being really impressed. Some of the things I did were amazing and complicated, probably needlessly complicated. I'm sure that my National Lottery program, which is over 300 lines long, could probably be about 10 lines long if I work out how to program a little better. Although, in my defence, I remember at the time explaining my program to a hardcore C++ programmer of many years' experience, and he could not help me. I think that the number of truly great programmers just isn't that high. Anyway, the point of this QB64 section is to tell you that you too can get back into QBasic coding. 
you can get back your coding chops you thought you lost years ago by visiting qb64.org. And amazingly, we have reached the end of this fun-filled episode of listening to me moan about stuff, but also get enthused about games and talking about code again. Sadly, we have reached the end of the episode. Until next time, the show is produced, presented, and edited by me, Roy Martha, a writer. Martha is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. There's a link to the show notes in the description of this episode. If you want to help, please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen and recommend it to a friend and also get in touch. Talk to me, people. You were listening to Crash, the UK Geek Podcast, episode 319, recorded on Friday 19th of June 2020, and ending at 005550. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye for now. Bye!